Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker. How do you move forward? And you're reminded of what are the foundations of our faith. That's all this has been. How do you live moving forward? It starts with these things. And uh, recognizing what today is, I came to the realization that today has a little bit in common with a lot of the... um, TV shows and books that we have in our, in our world. Uh, when you are telling a story, the ending isn't always the best part of the story. You know this? Actually, for example, whenever you look at a TV show and how it is progressing through a season, even though everybody looks to the season finale... Just so you know, the season finale is going to have either A, a cliffhanger for the next season, and it drives you nuts. We may have to wait eight months for this. Or it ties it all up, and it's filled with a lot of plot. So for the finale to stick its landing, the most important episode of a season for a TV show or for anything is called the penultimate episode. It's the second to last episode. Because the second to last episode or the second to last chapter or the second to last act or section of a story is what sets up the intricate details for the plot to happen. It sets up the choice that the character has to make for, for their character arc to come full circle, the penultimate will make or break a story. It does. A lot of us don't think about it. We always think about the end. Anytime that you've read a book and you're just, you're going through the last chapter, all the plot and stuff, what an ending. The only reason that ending was as good as it was is because the setup was better. And today, being the second to last message I bring to you, I recognize that today's foundation is the thing that sets up everything. It sets up your life together. It sets up how you relate with people outside of this church. It sets up the mission that Jesus Christ has given to all of us as disciples of Christ. If you don't have this peace in your faith, you do not have a faith in Christ. You will have a mission bent on something different than what Jesus has given us to do. Today sets up our life of faith together and with everyone in the world. It directly affects everything we do in what we call the Christian faith. 
so, we will be in Matthew chapter 5 today. If you are a Bible memorizer or Bible scholar, you will know that Matthew chapter 5 is a part of Jesus' longest and arguably most important sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. For two whole chapters, Jesus preaches. And he begins sharing what his kingdom, or rather who his kingdom is made up of. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. All of the things that our world devalues, he lifts up. He says, these are the people who I have come for. And then he begins to share about the kind of kingdom that he has brought by sharing that the kingdom is not just about what you do or what you do not do, but actually has something to do with your inner life. This is when Jesus says, hey, you ever gotten angry at somebody and you've held it against them? You might as well have just ended things for them. He equates the two. It's also whenever he says, hey, you know when you, sh you were, you know the thing where I told you not to cheat on spouses and things like that? Yeah, if you think about using somebody for yourself, that's just as bad. The standard has changed where it's not just about what you and I actually physically do and what we actually speak out of our mouth and the looks on our faces. Our very hearts and our very minds are to be transformed by Jesus Christ. And as we talked about last week, Jesus will transform you when you allow him. When you are reborn, when you say, Jesus, you are the center of my life, he will turn you into somebody different. It's not behavior modification. It's not, the world would be great if everybody just lived into all of these commandments. There's plenty of people who are lawful, but who are not good. We have to be transformed by him. And so we as the church must live these transformed lives. And a piece of that transformation is the word that is thrown around so much these days. And you've probably hear, heard me say this commandment way more than any other commandment. It's because it's summed up in it as easy as possible. Love. what kind of love has Jesus called us to have? What kind of love has he called us to give, bring into the world? What kind of love brings about good that rights the world that has been so bent on our own rebellion, our own sin, our own death? Let's see what he says. Matthew chapter 3, I think it begins with verse 43? I don't have my Bible. Yeah, 43, there we go. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your father who is in heaven. 
He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. Love is a popular worldview. We just need love. I immediately go to the Beatles every time. And even if you were to look at the majority of religions and worldviews and philosophies, you will find love as an essential piece of their belief system. But what holds Jesus and the Christian faith distinctive from those is this. I need you to hear this. This is the audience that Jesus is speaking, speaking to in this moment are mainly first century Jews. In the Old Testament, it does not say to love your enemies. Jesus is being distinctive even in the religious system that he is a part of. In fact, if you go into the Old Testament, you might even say that the Old Testament says to hate some certain people. Now, it, again, it doesn't explicitly say that, but whenever it says God hates this kind of action and God hates this kind of people, and you say, I'm an Israelite, I'm a person of God, I'm a son and daughter of God, I am to do what God does. So yeah, I'm going to hate these people too. That's why Jesus says, you have heard it said, he knows where everybody is. He knows that scripture has been used in a way to justify hate in the world. And it's why, friends, we listen to Jesus above everything else in scripture. We do not worship scripture we do not worship this Bible. We worship the very Son of God, the Word of God, God incarnate, who has shown us who God is and how he brings good into the world. Danny Quanstrom says it this way. Jesus replaces hate with love. And love always seeks the good of the other. Regardless of how the Old Testament talks about how to deal with enemies, Jesus gives us the final authoritative statement on how to relate to enemies. Remember, the I that Jesus speaks here is the I of God himself. The great I. 
And you might say, well, what, <laughs> what about all the other pieces in the Old Testament? Do you ever think that humans might get God wrong? Do you ever think that we might mess it up a little bit? The beautiful thing about this is that whenever this was created, God said, I'm going to involve my people in the work of writing down what I have done throughout the generations. Guess what? You know how you had a typo in your last text to your son or your daughter? There's typos in here. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, there's a different timeline for Holy Week amongst different gospel writers. But God chose us to see what he did and to write it down. And we believe that, quite frankly, that God is still working through this scripture, that he is authoritative whenever he speaks in these moments. But it's God. It's not us. It's not a book. Anyways, that's a aside. So whenever we hear Jesus say, love your enemies, you might think to yourself, but wait a minute, God. You're telling me I need to love the people who are out to get me? The people who, that person who lied about me at work? Are you telling me I have to love some kind of people who, who stand against what I think the family should be in this world? I need to love people who might be out to get my family or my friends, my country, my way of life, my possessions. You're telling me I have to love the guy who tried to get into my house and steal my antique record player? I'm supposed to love the rich people who keep on sending the market in all kinds of ways and my retirement is like... I have to love the politicians that continuously lie to us on all sides. I have to love a Republican. I have to love a Democrat. Yeah, you See, when we do this, when we get offended by Jesus when he says, love your enemy, and we think of an enemy immediately, you know what we're doing? We are putting our identity, how we define ourselves in that relationship more than our relationship with God. I have to love people who want to bring terrorism to this country, you are being an American before being a Christian in that moment. You mean I have to love my neighbor who is just a jerk to me, my wife all the time? Yeah. When we hear Jesus says, love your enemy, he means it. Because he recognizes that if we have enemies and we treat enemies like we've always treated our enemies with disdain and anger 
by getting ahead of them, by competing with them, by doing what they do, it just brings more sin and death into this world. And God has brought a way to save this world, and we partake in it with him. So he gives a reason for it. Why would it be this way? Why would you ask this of us, Jesus? And Jesus gives one part of the reasoning for it. You are a creation of God. And so is the Taliban member who was radicalized across the ocean. And so is that rich person that you have disdain for because of what they do and get away with. And so is your cousin who puts things on Facebook that you just want to yell at continuously. And so is your sibling, who you fight with sometimes, and think, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. It's the bully at school. It's the person who doesn't believe in God and attacks you regularly for your faith. We are all created. And if God sends the sun to rise and fall, and if God sends rain upon those who are faithful and who are not, the righteous and the unrighteous, those who are good and those who are evil, why would you not choose good and righteousness? We're in this together, y'all. No matter what you do, this group project that we call civilization, you're all affected by it. So why not start bringing righteousness into this world that God has brought to us? The question that sums it up so well, if God our Father is loving and gracious enough to send the sun and rain on those who hate him, on those who fail to trust him, on those who abuse and destroy his creation, should we not do the same? For God so loved the world! That's all of it. That's the most sinning of sinniest sinner sinful people in the world. Think of the worst person in the world. God loves that person. And so what we must do the same. And I love that Jesus totally calls out the realities that you and I both struggle with. It's very easy to love certain people. It is very easy to love your son or your daughter. You might say, uh, not lately. <laughs> but you would. You would do anything for them. No matter what they do that drives you nuts, no matter how far they go into a lifestyle that you don't agree with, your dad, your mom, you do whatever it takes. Some of us have friends that are easy to love. You're brought together by 
an event. You're brought together by similar interests and you've just grown. They're like family members to you. It's easy to, to love church family. And Jesus simply says, good for you. You're just like everybody else who is living life here. The people who have zero concept as to what I have made this world to be, you're just like them. If you only love the people that are easy to love, there is no difference between you and a person who believes in the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater as God. There's no difference. There's no difference between us and every other worldview. But in Jesus Christ, we are to love those who are different than us, even our enemies. And it's why it's Jesus talks about love so often, and it's why the New Testament writers after Jesus had to remind the church to do it again and again and again. You'll go, in, you'll go into 1 Corinthians and you'll hear Paul talk about, if I have the greatest words, if I have the greatest ability to heal, if I have all these things, but have not love, I am nothing. Peter, blabbermouth. Who dealt with racism and prejudice openly in the New Testament comes around whenever he writes his epistle to the church about loving others. Loving others, period, has to happen for the church to be who it's called to be, for the world to be made right. And how do I start to love my enemies? Well, Jesus provides the first step. Pray for them. Pray for those who harass you. Now, some of us, some of us get into prayer and we get a little passive aggressive. Oh, dear Jesus, this person is a horrible person. I am obviously in the right, Jesus. Help them to come to know you. But actually what we mean is my way of thinking. If we pray like that, we still see them as an enemy. See, to love somebody and to pray for somebody is to recognize that that person has a relationship with God just as much as you have a relationship with God. We are on the same plane. And we have to ask for the good of our enemies. We have to ask for the good of our enemies. What's the best thing in the world? Yes, that everybody would come to know Jesus. But we also pray for the person that is in the situation where they are hurting you, or they are lying to you, or they are going after you, because life hasn't been good to them. They have experienced suffering and pain just as much as you have. When you begin to love your enemies, you don't have enemies. And you begin to pray for them in such a way 
that good would come into their life. So if you ever thought that a Christian life is just, you know, coming to church and reading your Bible and stuff, you must commit to prayer. Prayer is essential if you want to love your enemies. The Christian life without prayer will lead to callous belief systems instead of holy, loving relationships. And it's why the middle statement of the mission of this church has always been loving people. We are saved. We are transformed by Christ. We grow in him. You know what Jesus grows you to do? To love. To have this right relationship that he has given us to do. To be. But then the very last statement of making disciples cannot happen unless you love people. Because I've seen churches make disciples of a lot of things that aren't Jesus. I've seen a lot of churches and pastors, even in this past week, not given to love and Jesus, but rather they're gloating. being insensitive. And that's not a disciple of Christ, y'all. We are on the same plane. God sends the rain and the sun on all of us. We do not celebrate when somebody dies, when something is taken away from others. We do not celebrate winning the argument We celebrate by coming alongside our enemies and loving them and making them disciples of Jesus Christ. And so you and I must love each other. We must love every person outside of this building, every person in this world. And we do so by recognizing that every person is loved by God and wishing the best for them. And not just, I hope everything goes well, but to actively serve others, even those who have spit in your face and smacked the one cheek. That's why Jesus says, turn the other cheek for them to smack too. Oh, they took your coat? Give them your tunic as well. We're called to give to each other. We're called to love in these ways that Jesus explicitly shares in his teaching. And if we don't do it, we will have a church that is rooted in something other than Jesus Christ. Love, loving others, establishes the life of the church. Faith steeped in the love of Christ for the world is the only way the church will make disciples. And so, I want to tell you something. In this second to last sermon, 
you know how to love. You know how to serve another person. You know how to give to other people. You know how I know? I've done it with my family. Over the past six years, you've inspired us with your love and you have given us love in some of the most difficult times and some of the most joyful times. When I have sat with you or you have sat with us when we have said farewell to somebody that we love, a parent, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, there's been love there. Being with us, being with each other, is love. We've had meals together, events together, where we gathered together as a team and worked together. We've had campfires and moments we've gone out to lunch and picnics. And in every one of these moments, there has been love shared from you to me, and I hope from us to you. In the moments that things in our lives have just rendered us completely speechless, and we were just, we didn't know what to say, there was love there. When we celebrated new faith, baptized folks who have new faith and we shared in the table together when we have sung together we have studied scripture together there has been love when I filled the baptismal baptistry up way too high for John you didn't laugh you loved seriously that was my fault Fred Harris is like, I think we're good. Nah, fill up a little bit more. Should have listened to Fred. When you have grown in Christ, and I have seen it, and you have told me about it, there's been love. You have cared for us through providing for us. You pray for us. You give us gifts that we don't deserve. You make desserts that make us fat, Judy. You give to this church. It's not lost on me that tithes and offerings are directly connected to whether or not we can put food on our table. You have loved us. You know how to love. And I am thankful for that. But I'm easy to, well, let's be honest. I was going to say I'm easy to love. I mean, that's, that's an overgeneralization. I mean, you ask my wife, I'm not always easy to love. We, though, as your pastoral family, can be easy to love. But you know who's not easy to love? The person sitting behind you that you barely know. Who's in a different stage of life than you. 
has a completely different way of thinking about the world than you. And this is my challenge to you. When you hear the word loving people, you need to understand that you as a church must love each other if you have a prayer to love people outside of the church who do not have a faith in Jesus Christ. We must be willing to sit with each other, to, to speak with one another, to learn from each other, to be quiet together, to laugh together, to cry together, to serve together, to give together. There's a reason why faith, in the, in the realm of faith, we use the word practice. I practice my faith. This church is where you practice how to love somebody different than yourself, who is not your flesh and bone, who is not in the same social circle as you, who has different interests than you. Love each other. And God will show you how to love even your greatest enemy. And it's not optional. This is commanded. For this church to remain a church of Jesus Christ, this must happen. And if this church loves well, this church will grow. It will spread in our community. As I've become a dad, um, which that's been something that you guys have been with us with too, seeing us be rookie parents, which is, yeah. <laughs> Some of you have gracefully offered your love to our daughter. Our daughter loves church. You ever see her come around hugging people? But let me tell you something about what I've discovered about being a father. Goodness gracious, am I willing to have enemies for that kid? I am. My flesh and bones cutest, most little stubborn child I ever met. Yeah, I know I'm looking at myself whenever I say that. And I know that as she becomes more of her own person, that love will just increase even more. So much that I might want to make sure that she doesn't become something that I don't want her to be because I've seen the world more than she has. And I know scripture better than she does. And I've dealt with pain and hurt and suffering, and I don't want her to experience it. But that's not love whenever you clamp down. Just like Jesus didn't clamp down when he came down to say, I have come to save the world. 
I love you. And it's your choice. Love is wanting the best without force for somebody. And may our relationships be defined by the divine love that he has given us. That moves our hands from this to open. Open hands. Braced for a hug. Because the sun rises and sets on us all. And the rain comes and goes on us all. And the only thing that we can do is to love God as he and to love others like he has loved us. May it be so in our lives. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would commit to loving. And we recognize that we've probably learned to love and been discipled to love in certain kinds of ways over the years. Help us to embrace the way that you have loved us. It's not forceful. It's not compliance. It's not by giving us all the rules and say living up to it, but accepting people where they are and walking with them, sharing your presence through the love that you have given us to offer. And I pray, God, here and now, that we would be a church of Jesus Christ. To offer true love to all, even those we might consider enemies. And may you grow us and grow into our community through the love you have given us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.